Hello, my name is Declan Deneen. Welcome to Checkpoints. This is a show about video games, the people who play them and the people who make them. Each episode, a guest on the show talks about the games that have shaped their life in one way or another. Games that have inspired them, games that have forged connections, and games that have soothed wounds. My guest on today's show is Mark Flurry. Mark is one half of the video game company Drool who, uh, alongside Brian Gibson, they're working together, have been working together for a while now, to make Thumper the game, a rhythm violence game. Um, it, when you listen to the show, you'll, like, I properly rave about this game. I've no idea if it's good or not, but like, do yourself a favor. If you haven't already seen it, um, I'll put a link to the website in the show notes. Go to the Thumper website and just watch a trailer. And, oh, God, like, I mean, maybe it is just play into all of my favorite things but it just looks sensational like i love rhythm games and this just looks like the most it, it looks like you're playing the kind of the final sequence of uh, 2001 a space odyssey it's what i always imagined games would be when i grew up it looks it looks wonderful um really hope it's not rubbish <laughs> uh, because i'm very excited about it. i don't think it will mark seems to be uh, very smart very passionate um, and they've clearly put a lot of love into the game so I'm looking forward to it. One of the things I really uh, enjoyed about this chat with Mark is that he, I mean he's American but he lives in Seoul in Korea um, and I'm really enjoying sort of getting to know kind of the more kind of intimate international video game scene you know like like last week with uh, Shalesh talking about him growing up in India and the way that he experienced games as a child and how it was just I mean not entirely different but you know different enough to be to be interesting and, and make me look at games in a different way and my relationship with games in a different way and I love these kind of these stories you know this this is one of the main things I wanted to do with the show is to tell uh, the kind of stories about games that you know aren't really talked about much like that game that helped you through a breakup and that game that ruined the friendship and then brought you back together I mean I, I don't know just the, the ways in which games can affect your life in the same way that a good song or a good book can you know um, and I haven't said this for a while in the show, but I'm, I'm always really keen to hear from from listeners. So if you have a, a story, you know, either something personal, something insightful, something funny, you know, anything about a, a way a game has kind of impacted your life, um, please do get in touch. Um, I always like to think I can sort of put together sort of clip shows. I mean, I've done it once with the very first autosave episode, um, and that was just all my friends. So if, if people want to have stories, they, they, they feel they would like to share then please do uh, get in touch you can email the show it's checkpointspodcast at gmail.com uh, it's also checkpoints podcast on on facebook sorry and it's at checkpoint show on twitter it's very important to have consistent branding um you can follow me too it's at declan deneen d-e-c-l-a-n-d-i-n-e-n also um i'm always keen to hear uh, suggestions from people for guests on the show i mean there's a lot of you know, I'm I'm a big fan of games, but I'm sure, as as I mentioned many times over the shows, you know, there's so much stuff that comes out. I'm sure there's great stuff that I'm I'm missing. So I'm always happy to uh, hear sort of some recommendations or or things that perhaps wouldn't be seen otherwise. You know, game devs or just people doing interesting things. You know, please do let me know if 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 you're that person doing that thing or if uh, you know of anyone doing anything cool. Um, anyway, I'll be back next week with a new show and a new guest for now. 
let's get on with the show. Let's do a, a formal introduction for the purposes of, of editing. So, Mark, thanks so much for, for coming on the show. Um, if you don't mind, would you introduce yourself? Sure. Well, thanks for having me. And uh, my name is Mark Flurry. I'm uh, American, but now I live in Seoul, South Korea. And uh, I've been a game developer for over 10 years. I uh, started my career at Harmonix in Boston um, and for the past, well, <laughs> technically for the past seven years or so I've been working on uh, a game called Thumper. And what a game that looks to be, Mark, honestly. It just, this, the the art style on that is just phenomenal. Like, I mean, really unbelievably good. Um, I'm very excited. Like rhythm action is my my favorite genre of video game, so I'm very excited about Thumper. Um, oh well, thanks for saying so. And... No, no pressure or anything. <laughs> but no, I'm really looking forward to it. It looks it looks phenomenal. Um, cool. So let's we'll do like a, a a deep dive. So what if you can remember what what was your your first experience of a video game? Um. I think I can think of maybe two that stick out in my mind. The one was uh, there was a garage sale across the street from my house. I grew up in the suburbs of Minnesota in the United States. Okay. And um, they had uh, they were selling like a Magnavox Odyssey, which is uh, it's quite like rare. Of those. Yeah, yeah. It might still be in my parents' house, but it's like uh, it was a three-in-one like Pong hockey and tennis all basically pong yes yeah. <laughs> slight variations and uh so uh, i think my mom bought that for my sister and i and then we hooked it up and played it um and i you know i've, I've always was like just fascinated about games i just always thought they were cool for some reason um and i had another memory too where um i think it was like one of the first times i saw an arcade machine and i was with my cousins and there's some other kids too. Is like outside of a restaurant, and uh, all the kids like nobody had any money. Well, I was really young, I think, and we were just kind of like playing as you know, just like pressing the buttons and pretending that we were playing. Yeah. Um, you know, along with the demo screen or whatever, and uh, and then finally, like I got a, well, this was actually in Italy, so I got like a I don't know what it was, like a 500 lira coin or something, and I uh, put it in there. And then, like, within, like, 10 seconds, some bigger kid just came by and, like, shoved me off. Oh, no. And I just remember being so, so infuriated, <laughs> just so angry. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I just, I guess I have so many memories about, like, arcades and, like, the kind of the, the weird culture around them, the very, like, kind of capitalist and <laughs> sort of depressing culture around arcades. But Did you grow up, like, around arcades? Were there arcades, like, near where you, you lived? Yeah, there were always ones like in the shopping mall or like the convenience stores or something like that. They would have an arcade machine. Yeah. What sort of games? Like, were there, were there any ones in particular that you were super drawn to? Uh, a lot. I mean, because they always had the best graphics then, right? So, oh, like, totally. a, a lot of like the beat em ups, like the Ninja Turtles or Simpsons game, were just really amazing for a kid back then. 
And of course, like the fighting competitive games, any kind of racing game. I was always very enthusiastic as a kid for any game, really. Did you get a chance to sort of spend any time there then? Or was it just like a occasional thing? You go to the arcades? Uh, no, there was a time when it was very frequent. Like you, growing up in the suburbs, there wasn't a lot else to do. So like with my best, best friend, we would go there really often. Um, it was like one of the few kind of like ways we would socialize with other kids too, <laughs> like during the summer and stuff. But like that's quite nice like because I... I remember growing up, like, I would do the same thing and you know, you'd go out and play arcades, but there was never any arcades. It was always, like, thinking back, really dodgy, like, old kind of pool halls and video shops and things where they just had a little dark room in the back with some arcades in. It's probably very shady, but I remember at the time thinking it was amazing because <laughs> it was playing, like, Ninja Turtles and eSwats and stuff like that. It was unbelievable. <laughs> so did you have, like... Uh, Aside from the Magnavox, did you get, like, consoles or home computers as well? Yeah. Um, you know, like, every kid, literally every boy my age had a Nintendo Entertainment System. They all got it, like, like Christmas 19, probably 87 or 88 or something. It's really hard to describe how pop popular that was in America. Um, and then I... I was definitely, like, one of the biggest gamers I knew growing up. Like, I would... I would buy like all the systems if I could afford them and and then in high school I worked at like a video game store oh, cool. that, that both sold new and you know used games as well so that meant I always got like the best deal and I would get any game I wanted or something because it always like be filtered through me uh, when people would bring stuff into the store oh that's um, the best I used to work in a blockbuster video and did the exact same thing it was brilliant okay yeah yeah so what? Um, so if, if you were the, the the sort of you're saying you're the biggest gamer, so to speak, amongst all your your friends, did you have like a a peer group? Did you like form friendships based around games? Yeah, I don't know if it was based around games, but like my best friend in elementary school and middle school, basically, we were both really into games, and like that would be kind of our default activity um, if we were hanging out. Um, I guess I remember it was a very exciting time too, just for PC games. The the kind of games that were coming out on the PC always seemed a little more advanced. And, he, and his dad had like a pretty fast, like I don't know what it was like a Pentium ninety or something, um, or maybe Pentium one fifty. And so games like Tie Fighter and stuff just seemed like uh, you know just the kind of dream experience for us. Um, they were it was almost like you know getting to watch like a new star wars movie <laughs> yeah in, in between or like it like in our minds it was that cool especially and, then because uh, they would only have been like the the original trilogy right right and uh and i remember the way we play that game i thought it was kind of like special like, i don't think i've really had this experience um because i mean we were so enthusiastic and then there would be one person who was the pilot um you know with like an actual joystick and then it was pretty complicated, uh, the game. Like, there was a lot of different keyboard commands that you could use to set shields or change weapons. So one person would be, like, the co-pilot operating that. And it was such a fun way to play the game. And I think um, there's still not many games that kind of offer that, that sort of cooperative experience where you're both doing, like, different things, sort of like, you know, on the Star, Star Trek Enterprise or something. I think it's something that a lot of people are really interested in, but there's not that many games that really support that kind of experience. Yeah, <clears throat> it was weird, weird that you mentioned the Star Trek thing because I'm sure there was a game 
not too long ago actually where it, it was basically replicating the the sort of star trek bridge and everybody had a different role and there's stuff hmm. like like space team do you ever play space team it's like an ios game yeah that's a great game um yeah and stuff like that is brilliant and i just recently actually played um uh, don't stop talking and nobody explodes or stop talking and nobody explodes i don't remember but it's, it's a bomb diffusal game and it's like right, cool. somebody is looking at the bomb in in vr or or not just like you know uh, away from everybody else and everybody else has to give them instructions and stuff and they're brilliant but I, like the one thing about all those things is i think i don't think people have lots of people around them all the time to play those sort of games i think that, i think they're very good for like events and things where there's lots of people together but as a sort of casual thing i think it's harder to to get yeah. that amount of people together and therefore probably not as exciting a proposition for you know someone developing a game or something looking to make any money yeah for sure i guess i guess the closest now that uh i have to those experiences are playing board games actually um you know there's so many of these new board games that are all about kind of cooperative or or you know it's they can be competitive but competitive but there's a strong cooperative element so back when i lived in boston and worked at harmonics like my group of friends there we would make a real point of like trying to find the time to like hang out and play a board game together like all those guys have like kids and stuff now so it's a real challenge but they actually plan vacations around <laughs> doing that too so. no that I, I think that's good like I've, I've only just recently started getting into board games and it's definitely been like a, a thing to make time for like it's really really good um, yeah so it, talking of like competitive stuff are you a competitive uh gamer do you is are there any particular games that you feel like uh you get locked into and you have to prove that you're the best at it uh, well, I think that if I'm in the middle of a game, like playing a board game or something, I'm s I certainly get competitive. Um, there's a few other things, maybe like fantasy football or something that I obsess over or something or want to win. But I don't play online competitive games at all. Um, I think that maybe they're just always just uh, too difficult or maybe it's just like the thought of playing some anonymous person is not that exciting to me. Um, what about sort of score attack stuff? Um, I, I, you know, not anymore. Not really. I'm not, I'm not like really into, uh, comparing myself with like some kind of global scale. <laughs> oh man. I love that stuff. Mark. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I, I don't love that stuff. I, I love that stuff if I'm good at something. Um, but if not, I have no interest in it. I'm very narcissistic. Mm. <laughs> I mean, I will say I, I like watching other people do it. I watch like, I like speed runs. And stuff oh yeah. Like the best, aren't they? It's so good. It's one of my favorite things in games in the last couple of years has been the uh, the Games Done Quick events. They're brilliant. Sure, yeah. So when you were sort of playing like TIE Fighter and things like that, did you have, was making games something you were thinking about? Did you ever make any games as a kid, like in basic or anything like that? Um, yeah, it was always something I wanted to do. And it feels kind of weird, like, you know, most people kind of give up on their childhood dream or something. It feels kind of weird to be doing it. It's interesting still. that you actually had one, though, because a lot of people that I've spoken to didn't really have that in their head as a, as a kid. It was something that came to them much, much later. But it's nice to hear that, that you, as a kid, you're like, yeah, I want to make games. Yeah, I mean, it, it was really what I wanted to do. And, um, I mean, of course, it's really hard to do, especially if you're a kid and there's really no good direction you know, there was some sort of programming classes in my primary schooling, but uh, 
really the teachers didn't really know what they're doing. I mean, they were all like math teachers, um, and there was no one else to teach programming. So it's not like they did a bad job. They just weren't really <laughs> um, programmers. And uh, so I did a few things. Like I used the Duke Nukem level editor to make my high school, um, which is something I think like everybody did. <laughs> You'd be put on a watch list for that name, Mark. Yeah, I mean, that's 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 the thing about that. You know, like, I mean, this is not some kind of horrible joke only, but like, you know, sometimes on some level, it doesn't surprise me that like school shootings happen, right? Because it's kind of what it, like, every kind of kid fantasizes about. <laughs> yeah. um, I think you're you're revealing a lot about your life in school there, Mark. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, no, totally. And, like, it's, it's I, I can. And, and and the the Duke Nukem thing, like unless you were modeling exactly all of your your classmates, I imagine that's a fairly innocent thing to do. Because who wouldn't want to oh, yeah. run around your shoot your school, shooting your friends and stuff? Right, right. <laughs> In a totally playful, fun way, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, I, I studied computer science in university too, and there also, I don't think it was very uh, close to act. You know, I didn't learn that much about like real professional programming so it really wasn't until i was you know in my early 20s that i feel like i was actually making games so what um through high school and stuff what sort of games did you just sort of stick with the pc because that's where you could make things or did you get like all the consoles as well yeah i i, I certainly had like all the consoles up through um i don't know like the last generation like um so, you know, I had two virtual boys. <laughs> Are you one of those guys? Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, I don't know. I guess I didn't have certain things. Like, I didn't have, like, Neo Geo, which, you know, was, like, in today's money would be, like, $1,500 or something. Yeah, yeah. But there's a few I didn't have. How um, did you have two virtual boys? That's unbelievable. Well, that was the advantage of working at a used game store. Ah, okay, okay. So you just get whatever anyone brought in. Yeah, and, you know, it was quite cheap, so... Um, I've never actually played one. Are they are they good? No, not really. <laughs> I mean, it's like a very kind of primitive three D effect. You know, all red and black. It certainly looks um, nice. Like the machine itself looks beautiful. Yeah, and the controller is kind of cool. I was kind of into the controller, but yeah, they just didn't have any like games for it, obviously. So, so what sort of were there any particular type of of games in your formative years that you would sort of seek out? Or did, did you start yeah. to get a taste for certain like developers or were you just like into genres or things like that? Um, yeah, I was. Uh, so I think maybe like the Super Nintendo was kind of my favorite system or like had the most games that I really loved on it. Um, so like, you know, all the Nintendo games, um, a lot of the big like role playing games I also played. I don't think I could play like a JRPG today. Um, something about like the random battle encounters or just like how long they take I don't think I could do anymore but back then I was all about like 100%ing everything and so I, I remember the or the original Act Razor like really captivated me oh it's a um, brilliant game yeah there's something about like like just the mode 7 effects that like me and my friend were just like literally like floored like watching it on like a 24 inch TV we were just like you know transported we're, you know, so so much about it was the enthusiasm and the fact that, like every time you played a game, it was going to be a little bit better than anything you'd played before, you know. And yeah. I think that really was like a big part of the excitement. Yeah, it's weird yeah. that because it's kind of 
I'd say over the past sort of couple of years that that kind of incremental, every incremental step being amazing has kind of leveled off a bit. I think everything is kind of like, this is kind of how things are going to be for a little while. Um, right. Unless... Or like, yeah, what's innovative is maybe less quantifiable or something. Yeah, totally, totally. Um, so what... Um, where did you go from there? Like when you went to university, was that still... Did you take all your things with you? Did you sort of form groups around games in university doing computer science uh, i, I imagine university... you would like oh i'm sorry i think like just being a computer science degree i imagine that there was a lot of people playing games there was although i think when i was in university suddenly i didn't have a lot of gamer friends um and so it was a lot of it was a pretty solitary activity i think just fine um and I mean, I, I remember like on the GameCube and stuff, like there's some of my favorite games ever when I was in university. Like one game that I always like list as one of my favorites is Pikmin. Okay. Um, and there's just something magical about it. Like I like how it's sort of this, you know, manipulating this system of a lot of little dudes. And it's kind of like an RTS, but there's not the kind of competitive pressure of the RTS. And then you kind of just see the beautiful, beautiful system in action. And to me, it was just very uh, compelling, <laughs> and uh, I think it represented some of like you know Nintendo's best kind of design sensibilities, um, in a way that like uh, I think was really new and, and innovative at the time. I don't know. I've always been kind of like intrigued by making that type of game, um, which is sort of like a simulation, uh, you know, where the simulation is really important to the experience, and. Uh, like I guess I've worked on so many rhythm games that it seems like very it's like a very different type of game, and so I'm really interested. I've been thinking about Pikmin a lot lately. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's it's very unique as well. Like it, it it's not it's not something that's been replicated much. I mean, it is kind of a, an RTS, but it's not really. Um, it, it's yeah, it's very interesting. Hopefully, they'll do more, but I don't know how how well the last one did. Yeah, I don't know either. I played it. I was. I think the first one had the most the kind of magical appeal to it because it was so new, but I've been, liked all of them. I'm really right. surprised that you said in university that there wasn't um, like a, a more social dynamic to games. Like, was it not, you know, like usually you hear stories about people playing like FPSs, uh, you know, through the, the dorms and stuff because everyone was on like the, the same network and stuff. So people would have death matches and even stuff like Dota and stuff, people would start to play. So was there none of that? Was it just not people didn't seem that interested in it? You know, there was some of that, if I think back. But I guess my computer science department was kind of small. Um, and I spent most of my time in college at the radio station in college. Oh, cool. Where I had most of my friends there. And, uh, yeah, they just weren't gamers like I was. Um some people were interested in watching me play games, which I was fine with. <laughs> but, um, uh, yeah, I, I, I think there was a lot of opportunity for that kind of stuff. But I guess in college, I don't know, it's easy to get distracted by a lot of stuff. So. But were you like, um, would you have been like an evangelist? Would you have, because like at the, around that time was when you got a lot of really interesting, like experimental, like cool games. Like, would you have been much more like, oh, guys, you need a you need to take this seriously this is good not like literally standing on a corner but you know what i mean like not 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 feel like oh this is a bit nerdy and embarrassing but look at all this amazing stuff oh yeah i would i mean i would always be 
psyched to talk about games. I guess I was always kind of conscious that it was sort of a nerdy thing, um, and I didn't really want to push push it on my friends or something. Um, and you know, I, I still kind of am that way too. Like, I think that there's some games that are like, you know, legitimately wonderful creations that I wish more people would play, but. I understand like the kind of the interface to learning how to play a game and do it and the kind of social, um, just the image of somebody like playing a game, staring at a screen, like doesn't really look cool to people. <laughs> you know, it's not like you're playing an instrument or something. Um, and uh, I think because of that, you know, the, the, the interface is, you know, pretty in intimidating and I, I understand why like, more people don't play interesting games. Um, and maybe that'll just kind of change culturally over time. I'm not too worried about it myself. No. I mean, I, I think so. And, and like, I do, I, I totally get what you mean with, like, the person sat staring at the screen. It is, it's not a very appealing image. But I, I do, like, I think, depending <laughs> on the game, there is a certain amount of, it is like playing an instrument in a lot of ways. Like, it's just it doesn't look as cool as playing the guitar it looks right. like you're in a, a, a trance which you probably right. are in some fashion right right so what sort of did did you was making games part of uh, computer science or was that something you had to kind of pull the parts that were relevant from your computer science degree yeah i would say that you know in school there's a few things that i learned about that i picked up you know faster than i would have on my own um, but there wasn't really any kind of real gaming like uh, track or anything in my in my program, and it was really like the year and a half after graduating that I taught myself more about making games and made like a really simple demo, which I think helped me get a job at Harmonix, where you know I continued to learn a lot, and, and now like um, you know I, I feel like you know how far I've come in ten years is really dramatic, and you can keep getting better, of course. So how um, did your your goal of making games did that never waver? Was it always still I'm gonna I'm gonna do this, or was there other things that you're like oh maybe I'll do that instead? Uh, I think that I thought that I could you know be happy doing different things. Like I was really interested in film, and I thought maybe I should study that too. Um, but I ended up just kind of focusing on computer science, and um, yes, yeah, I guess it just seemed like. I don't know, an obvious choice in that it was also a means where, you know, if I could get a game job, well, they, they, I can actually get paid for it. Um, so, yeah, I guess I never really wavered much. So how, how did you end up in, in harmonics? Like, was that just near to university, maybe? Or? Uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't that close. I, I went to school in Chicago and harmonics is in Boston. Okay. Um, and a friend of mine, uh, Robin, who's... Uh, she was a graduate student at Northwestern at the time. I talked to her about, you know, wanting to get into games. And um, she's now, like, a game developer, too. And um, she recommended Harmonics because she knew the people there and said that they were cool. And I think her advice was really good because it, um, it's not that Harmonics is the company I even necessarily most wanted to work for, just that, like, the people there were nice and the people who run the company were, like, I think traded the employees pretty well. So I feel very, very fortunate in having that as like my first experience. Um, it was much, much better than you know some of 
you know, the kind of horror stories you'll hear of other people in the game industry. I also joined Harmonix right when the first Guitar Hero was in development. So, like, my timing was really good, too. Yeah, totally. Were you aware of them? Like, had Frequency come out at that point? Yeah, I knew Frequency and Amplitude. And honestly, like, they were not my favorite rhythm games. I thought that they were kind of cool, but I didn't. I really wasn't into the aesthetic of them or the music. I kind of like had more fondness for a lot of the Japanese rhythm games, and uh, I was hired to kind of help finish one of the karaoke games they were making. And I guess I just, I guess I thought that rhythm games had a lot of potential, so and it would be cool to work at a real, you know, console game developer doing rhythm games. And then, yeah, Guitar Hero was, like, you know, way cooler and way more successful than anyone there could have hoped or dreamt, really. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, uh, Frequency and Amplitude, probably two of my my favorite ever, ever video games. And Guitar Hero was such, like, I've I've mentioned this on the show before, but it it was, it over-delivered. Like, I was so excited about the potential for that game, and it was so much better than I even thought it could be. It It was so, so brilliant. And then Rock Band was the the greatest. Like I learned how to play the drums from playing Rock Band, like legitimately. Cool. Which is amazing. Um, so d- did you have like any background in music? Do you play an instrument? Uh, I've I've always loved music. Like the, and especially during college, like that was a really big part of my life. I guess working at the radio station, which was a really very progressive and you know orientated towards underrepresented types of music experimental music um non-western music a lot of different genres were represented there and um it was very like almost like a political and sort of almost spiritual awakening for me i think did you have your own show i did um i i had a show uh it was on at two in the morning, like Tuesday night. <laughs> it seems so unreal that I, like that wasn't a big deal just to like stay up that late in the middle of the week. But when I was in college, it wasn't a big deal, and it was all like I call it the space show, and it was just like all like a lot of psychedelic rock and stuff. <laughs> but um, and so yeah, I think that the I, I, basically I love music, and I never really played an instrument, but I I did learn the drums like a few years ago, and now I'm a bad drummer much like myself um <laughs> so what was the the demo that you made after finishing uh, university oh it's uh, pretty unremarkable basically i cloned one of the mini games from super monkey ball where like you're just trying to punch other people off of a platform oh yeah yeah another one yeah oh, and, and why that though that, that just seems like a i don't know that seems an odd choice not an odd choice necessarily but just why why make that sort of game uh i don't know i think it was just to show that i could do something (laughs) and finish it (laughs) um which is always like the best thing to try to do when you're just starting out and was it good was it fun did you did you enjoy it was it easier or harder than you thought it'd be uh i don't know it wasn't a a real concern to me like what it (laughs) what if it was fun or not it was really just sort of to demonstrate my programming ability i think yeah. So were you playing games at this time, like after university? Was there anything that particularly like inspired you or made you really excited and kind of double down on your, your goal of making games? Um, yeah, I mean, I think that 
every once in a while there'd be a game like Pikmin or something that I got really excited about. Um, I think the amount of games that I play or something has sort of dropped, you know, since I was a kid, which happens. Um, and I think like uh, like in 2008, Braid made a big impression on me. Also, like uh, for a lot of people, like showing like, well, I guess I don't have to work at a company. I can make my own game. And I kind of went in a sort of extreme direction where I was like, well, you know, these these guys like Jonathan Blow or Chris Hecker, like they make their own engine and they did all the programming themselves. And it's like, that's what I should do. So that's what we've done with Thumper. And it's taken like an incredibly long time. But, you know, it's it's been sort of not just, you know, we've had a lot of goals with Thumper and some of it is just to get better at making games. And... Um, and hopefully, like, we'll be finishing it pretty soon, at least. Uh... <laughs> yeah, and, and I, I think, um, strangely enough, I feel like right now is, like, one of the times I'm the most excited about playing games. I have very little time to play right now because it's been very... Um, uh, Thumper's taking up so much time right now, but um, there's, like, I want to play The Witness and Undertale and the last Metal Gear game and the new XCOM game. Um all these games that I'm actually like super psyched about that I think I'll really enjoy. And so I have a lot to look forward to, I think when I finish. Oh, my absolutely. Game. Yeah. They, those are all, I've not played the new XCOM yet, but uh, the witness I, I had, I've had a love hate relationship with the witness. And I, I'm, I'm still continuing to have a love hate relationship with the witness. <laughs> um, if you, if you listen to the previous episode, we talk about it quite a bit at the start and it is just, it's wonderful. And then you hit a brick wall. The, the pacing of it is, is quite, brutal sometimes i think because it's so open it's really easy to just hit a million brick walls because you're not sure which direction you're supposed to be going and if you've learned the right rules for the right puzzles but when it clicks ah, oh, it's just it's wonderful yeah. and, and it's a beautiful beautiful world so how what how was the the move to harmonics was that everything you'd hoped or expected it'd be like to work in games it, it, I, like I remember when I was there, like I was, I felt when I first joined, you know, I felt extremely energized just to be there. Like I was just like so psyched to have a weekly meeting with all the programmers and talk about programming. You know, I just didn't have that many people who were that serious and excited about you know this kind of programming in my life before. And like almost all the guys, except for one, were really senior. Um, and I was like a junior programmer, so they were kind of willing to teach me a lot, and that was cool. Um, I think, you know, eventually, like, I was there for a while, and I was a lead programmer, and I kind of did more manage, managing than programming, which was not, ultimately, I didn't, you know, like as much, but it's kind of hard to turn down, like, more responsibility and promotions, you know? Yeah, absolutely. But, right, so... And then, you know, I think I had it in my head at that time that I really wanted to make my own game. And so it was clear that I could move on. But, um, yeah, it was, it was overall very positive. What, what were you, uh, what would like, what, what did you lead on? Uh, I was the lead programmer on the Beatles Rock Band and the first two Dance Central games. Oh, those are all amazing games. Yeah. The Beatles yeah. must have been super exciting because, you know, it's the Beatles. And you're getting like the yeah. library and stuff. Yeah, it was. It was like I mean, I realized it was like such a rare game that like will never happen again, probably. Yeah, and it was kind of cool. Yeah, it was cool to be there and 
Uh, Yoko Ono came to our office and I got to meet her, which was really cool. And yeah, I don't know. It's cool to work on. Like I, I feel like I worked on these all these games at harmonics that all of a sudden like millions of people played, and I always thought like that would be cool experience. And then now that I've had that, I don't really care about it anymore. Kind of <laughs> That's interesting. Like why? Why do you think? Was it just you didn't get the kind of feedback you were expecting, or? Uh, no, I mean I think that it's a really cool feeling but like ultimately for me like creating something that um i do primarily for artistic reasons and that i do like um you know independently is important to me i you know maybe it's just like with thumper i'm i'm doing basically all i mean i am doing literally all the programming um there's very little middleware it's like a complete engine and tools and everything um and that's like something that I wanted to do. Uh, and I think maybe after Thumper, like I won't feel that need anymore and I, I can work with another programmer. So it's, it's that sort of thing, I guess. Like I always, it'd be cool to work on a big game that a lot of people play, but then after you've done that, maybe like you realize that's not the most important thing anymore. <laughs> do you think, do you, do you find, like I, I, I don't know how to program. I don't really, I mean, beyond some basic stuff. So do you think... Or do you feel like when you're when you're programming, that's kind of like playing a game, essentially? Like it's the it hits the same kind of brain centers, like problem solving and things. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's kind of like playing the witness. <laughs> In <laughs> Maybe actually, that yeah. That it's very you know can be very brutally hard and. Um, yeah, it's it's not the same. It's very interesting in some ways. It's more interesting than playing games, but obviously, it's not as like it can't. It's not as uh, relaxing or fun <laughs> consistently. You know, I think you you do it for the kind of sense of satisfaction, and uh, I don't know. It's like you know. I think I, I I've always kind of accepted that learning isn't supposed to be always fun. There's there's times that are always really tedious that you wish were just over, um, that you want to stop, you know, you just want to stop, but you have to keep going. And um, I think that's like a good lesson I learned when I was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, but there must be like pleasures in it. You know, there must be like aha moments when suddenly everything falls into place and you've nailed something. Yeah, for sure. Um, and sometimes, yeah, it's just, it's, you have to like, uh, tr savor those moments when they do come because sometimes it's a long time in between them <laughs> and uh you know and sometimes like the the things you spend your time on are so frustrating or you feel like there's all these problems in programming that have been around since you know the 1970s that still exist and, and no one's really made them better so. yeah no that's frustrating so did you did you like rhythm games before harmonics or, or or did that kind of really inspire you more because thumper is essentially a rhythm game right yeah i think it, it thumper is like a rhythm game that's kind of stripped down simplified um so you know the the other half of thumper development is my partner brian who worked also worked at harmonics and he's the artist and musician for the game and he's much less a gamer than i am especially now um he played games when he was a kid but uh, so I think he's been a big influence in just trying to keep it really simple and 
it is a pretty hardcore game, but the controls are like as simple as we could make them. And so it's a kind of a stripped down rhythm game, I guess is how I would describe it. Um, and I, I was always a big fan of rhythm games. And like I was saying, I like Parappa the Rapper and Guitar Man, I thought was a really oh, brilliant design game. Yeah. I think it had like kind of the best interface of all those games. Like where there was this natural mapping, but with the stick and with the button, with the four buttons on the on the controller, um, whether you weren't doing some weird like like what always bothered me about frequency and amplitude is that it's like these three horizontal buttons, but they're mapped in some awkward way onto the controller. Um, it always just felt like not intuitive or fun to me. Um, um, obviously, Guitar Hero or something like that feels great. Um, but uh, yeah, so I was a I was a big fan of rhythm games, and it was in my mind always like what had the most potential or something, or the most obvious potential to me um, when I started making games. Yeah, I, I, the thing that, that I think I mentioned this on the show that hasn't aired yet, but um, like I love like Guitar uh, Guitar Man and, and uh, Parappa. They're, they're essentially musicals like you know just big playable musicals and you don't you haven't got a game like that since then really and there was like a, a sort of glut of them there was like space channel 5 and parappa and guitar hero and i'm jamalami and then it's just stopped and uh I, I i do hope maybe that can be your your next project mark some <laughs> yeah. kind of all singing all dancing rhythm, <laughs> rhythm musical game i think that'd be the best i do wish people would make that sort of game i would probably play them but um yeah i think i want to not make a rhythm game for a while after <laughs> is there anything like i mean this is going to be difficult because i don't really know anything about programming so maybe you can't explain it very well but is there anything specific with rhythm games and and programming that that marks the mates from other games because all games are kind of rhythm essentially you know it's hitting the buttons at the right times and stuff so is there any huge difference between making a, a rhythm game and just like a regular like a platformer or something um you know there's there's yeah like i think there's tons and tons of code that is kind of common between games or you know types of code or types of engine code um i don't know with rhythm games i think um it has some kind of similar challenges with um, other action games where you know you're taking the input from the controller, and uh, you need to, you know, not just be accurate. Like you need to process it like, f you know, quickly and with low latency, and be fair. But you also kind of have to sometimes discern what the player meant, um, so that it feels good and it doesn't feel too punishing. On you know the, all the harmonics games, especially the ones with instruments, that was like a major engineering effort. Um, Dan Schmidt did a lot of that, the programmer at harmonics. But you know, like if you if you lift up the fret like fraction of the of a second early, that shouldn't penalize you. Stuff like that, um, which sounds like kind of simple, but it actually gets really complicated. Um, and then those games are also very latency sensitive, so. Um, like one thing I've yet to do with Thumper, which I'll have to do, is like some kind of audio video latency calibration, which is just a, a really annoying thing in the sense that it's just because people have like, you know, bad TVs or the engineer who made the TV wasn't didn't care about latency, 
or they have latency in their audio system. And it's just kind of sad that that's something that we have to deal with, but we do. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. So when um, when did you sort of decide to leave? That that seems quite a bold step to, to leave harmonics and go off on your own. Uh, it was the same time that I moved to Korea. So Okay, um, so it's perfect timing then. Yeah, it just kind of all worked out. My 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 girlfriend at the time, now my wife, got a job here, and I was excited. I'd never lived outside the United States, and I wanted to try doing that, and I wanted to go full-time on Thumper, so it just all happened at once. Had you been kind of noodling around with that idea before leaving? Oh, yeah, actually, like, Brian and I started working on Thumper while we were still both at Harmonix, um, and it was just, like, a weird prototype for a long time, like... Um, I mean, we were, like literally started when like all I knew how to do was draw like vector lines, <laughs> and that's all the engine could do. So we started from that you know beginning level. At, at Harmonics, I learned a lot about programming. But if you're not like a graphics engineer or or like an engine programmer, there's a lot you might not learn unless you teach yourself, because um, you kind of can become you know sort of specialized or pigeonholed a little bit at a company. Yeah. So so w- where did the idea for like Thumper come from and how, how did you and Mark sort of branch off together you um, and Brian sorry not Mark yeah sure um, it, was, it was Brian's idea um, and I think it was just like he wanted to do like a rhythm game that was really uh, simple and it was just like this little dude like like a little hemisphere kind of moving along a grid and I saw it like I think he kind of posted it internally on harmonics to get feedback on this idea. And actually at the time I thought it was just like kind of dumb. <laughs> like I didn't really see what would be cool about it. And, um, I, I didn't really know Brian that well then either. And then it was, I think once we actually started talking about it and I have a lot of respect for Brian as an artist and a musician. Yeah. He's so that's in what lightning he, bolts, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so that's also what just motivated me to want to work with him. And I was also kind of like, oh, this is a simple game. We'll we'll just get this done quick and then maybe make something else <laughs> later. Um, and he also, like one of his his good friends, this artist, Matt Brinkman, did a lot of concepting for the game. And then it just kind of became this dark, more dark vibe. And that kind of informed everything we did with it from then on. Yeah, like I, I, I can't stress enough how... how good it looks like the how solid it looks but it's just it's so unique like the the design of it it looks like the end of 2001 in a lot of places was that like a, an obvious point of reference yeah i mean we definitely wanted it always to be psychedelic and intense and um we are a big fan of i think 2001 both of us both for it's like both for like the kind of like cool over the top psychedelic and then also sort of just like the monolith and the simple kind of like cosmic horror of it or whatever um so yeah i think that there's elements of that in thumper um and i mean a big part of the way the game looks is um like i was saying it started out as this really kind of a grid-based world where we thought everything would kind of be a tile or like a cube and that's kind of like it makes sense from being a rhythm game right because everything's kind of quantized and you can represent it by little chunks yeah totally and that's still like how the world is built, but everything is, um, all the cubes are like really stretched out and they're sort of bent so that they seamlessly link up. So it looks like a big track. And that's just this like 
it's a, called a vertex shader, this thing, this, this bit of code that transforms them and lines them up. And I remember there was like just this month when I figured out how to do that. And uh, it took, it took, it was like really, really hard for me at the time. This was a few years ago. And then from then, like the game, the whole look of the game just kind of transformed and we just kept making it faster and faster. And that sort of the game sort of finally like started to reveal itself to us, I think. Are you like because you've been working on it so long? Like, how how do you stay excited about it? Um, or is that always, do you not like? Is it is there always just something to do? I guess. Yeah, there's always stuff to do, and um, I, I probably have more of a problem of like not wanting to finish stuff or something like, or you're not getting bored of it, so that like I just keep like tinkering or something, um, but. Yeah, in general, like, especially now that, like, we have the game is out there and there's at least some people who seem excited about it, I think there's plenty of motivation. There's always kind of something to look forward to, like, we'll have, like, a big announcement next week, I hope, and stuff like that. So it's kind of, it's it's, it's definitely stayed interesting, and it's only gotten more interesting, I think. What well, what's the big announcement, or is that NDA completely? Uh, it's a secret. Yeah, we just want to surprise people with it, but it should happen in about a week. <laughs> oh, how exciting! Um, yeah. So, moving to to Seoul, then, like aside from um, your girlfriend, did you know anyone? Like that that seems like that's like two big, huge changes, like all at once. Was that just fine? Uh, for me, yeah, surprisingly, it went very smoothly. I didn't really experience much culture shock or anything, and um, I don't know. I've always been very comfortable here. I, I speak Korean okay now, not not very well, but. Um, I think after I finish Thumper, I, I hope hopefully I can can study some more. <laughs> but so, did you have you made like friends and connections there now? Like, I mean, it's a very big video game country, obviously. So there must be an interest. Like, do you meet other developers in Seoul and things? Yeah, so uh, I have some other developer friends here, and we have kind of a small community that's pretty pretty cool. We have uh, like a monthly meetup, and. I think there's a lot of people here excited about like the idea of indie game development and um, it's still, I guess, kind of, I, I don't really like saying it's behind the West or something, but there is just like less of it here and there's less kind of successful like examples of, of people who've like made a game here and like had it be like either commercially or critically successful. But I think there will be more of that uh, hopefully soon. And um, like we have a, a festival, like we had the first one last year in Pusan, which is the second big, biggest city in Korea. And we're going to have another one in September. And it was like cool because it was an international festival in Korea. Developers from Japan and Europe and the States came as well as the rest of Asia. So, um, yeah, I, I'm definitely kind of, a, I, I enjoy that kind of community building and stuff too. And are um, they all like Korean developers? Or is there like well, a large... most, Yeah, I think most of the people in Korea that are doing indie stuff are Korean, but there's a few like foreigners like me um, doing it too. And, you know, it, I think it's really interesting because, I mean, people always talk about Korea as being like a big game market and or like gaming's huge here. And for me, actually, like, it's all the type of gaming that I have almost no interest in. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm not that into like MOBAs or like, esports 
Um, I certainly don't play them. Like maybe sometimes they're interesting to watch. And I also don't really play anything on my phone. I don't like ever really feel the, the desire to play mobile games. And that's what's like huge in Korea, of course, is mobile and esports. And um, Korea is an incredibly big market for how many people are in Korea. It's like the whole country is about 50 million people. And it's like the fourth biggest market in the world. Um, behind only like China, Japan, and the United States. It's like bigger than Germany or, or England, even though there's like less people. <laughs> yeah, and uh, but the kind of like unfortunate thing is that I think it's like so tightly controlled. You know, there's these massive companies that have mobile games that just print money. But uh, for indie developers, it's, uh, it's I think really hard actually to sell your game in Korea for a lot of reasons. Um, but I think part of it is just maybe kind of building up the concept that indie games is a thing and it's something that people who, who really enjoy like more unique or creative games should like look, look out for. Um, so even if it is a sort of a boutique or niche sort of market, I think that it still needs to be developed. Absolutely. Like, I mean, is there, is there any like historical, like, I mean, I can't think of any like big sort of Korean developers like from the past. So there's there's people who are famous in Korea, um, or or people who have had kind of hit games in Japan and China, um, almost all mobile games, um, or there's some people who made like kind of famous games for like Korean only systems. Yeah, <laughs> like stuff like that called- fascinates me. That there's this whole other side of of video game history that is you know not part of the the Western canon, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, it's funny because I mean. It, Unlike Japan, like video games were not like very huge here um, in the eighties. Like you know, Korea was still like a dictatorship until the mid to late eighties. Yeah, and a lot of people here will say that like, oh, the government didn't like video games or that kind of culture, <laughs> and so they weren't really supported. And it wasn't like illegal or anything, but there's you know like a few kind of homegrown systems, like the GP thirty two was one of them. Ah, oh, no, and way. and for various reasons some of them sort of political or economic like a lot of the japanese systems were never popular here still aren't very popular here um like console gaming has never been a big thing in korea that's that's a shame so but i'm presumably like thumper will be a big hit in the korean market i'm (laughs) I'm sure i I, i'm really interested to see what uh what my game sells in korea i mean i i've like, you know, more than any other Western indie game, I've probably done more promotion in Korea, and I've done a lot in Japan, too, actually. But I'm just really fascinated to see if there's any chance <laughs> of it catching on. Because, um, uh, you know, like, uh, when when people, Western indies, like, release their game, like, uh, there's so many people who, like, publishers and stuff that will want to bring your game to China or Japan. But I think it usually Asia, the entire Asian region is, like, maybe 5% of their sales, even though there are these massive markets. And I, I'm just, you know, kind of curious as to why that is the case and if, if we can do better. Yeah, no, that's interesting. Like, another thought just occurred to me then. Like, it, you, you have these sort of meetings and you've got this kind of uh, community of, of other developers. Like, if... For for people who would have you know grown up in Korea and are working on indie games, like is there is is their sort of history of games different? Like, do you think they're the games that they're making are, are coming from a, a different place because of their history in the country and the games they would have had access to? 
Yeah, I don't know. Um, I think that for some people, yeah. And uh, I also think that there's a lot of, um, like, uh, I guess maybe my friends are like, you know, they're pretty serious gamers or something, or they kind of know about all the games that I, I do, because there are people who, you know, buy the consoles and stuff here and play them. Um, and, yeah, unfortunately, like, when I, if I were to summarize what, like, a lot of people are doing here, it's um, based on more contemporary trends, I think, like action RPGs for the phone that are free to play or something like that, you know, um, which is, like, I think kind of a bummer. Um, but I also think there's, you know, a lot of opportunity here. There's a lot of government support for games as an industry and um, a lot of talent as well. So, um, yeah, I hope that, like, in general, like, that, that, Maybe you know, with some more success cases leading the way that more people are are doing it here. Cool. Um, yeah. One question which I try and ask everybody is, uh, what game made you laugh the most? Because I think that's uh, a really difficult. It's one of the, the few emotions that that games kind of struggles to elicit um, is laughter. So I'm just curious. Yeah, you know, I. Um, I think that, I mean, I left out a big part of my gaming childhood, which was all the LucasArts of graphic adventure games. Yeah. Were some of my absolute favorite games. And I know I, I found them funny. <laughs> so I'm sure I I laughed. Uh, no, totally. I mean, and, and that is literally everybody's answer, um, which shows how, how narrow the field is for, for funny games. Yeah, although, like, I feel like there's... That's a certain type of laughter, and like it's it's like a very like those are genuinely funny, right? They're like designed to be funny, and they're humorous, and you laugh. Um, but then sometimes there's just like things that I feel like I don't know. My friend, I would like my friend was playing some really terrible game for the PlayStation, I think called Siphon Filter. Oh yeah, yeah. And there were like these scientists that you were supposed to assassinate, and you would come up to them, and they would like go down on their knees and say something like, you know, please don't shoot me. I'm a man of science. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then he would just like chase them around the, the whole level. And it was just like, you know, very hysterical. Like, I think that kind of stuff can be like, can make you laugh harder too. Like there's something about that, like absurd, like interactions that games that you have sometimes. Yeah. It's really interesting. Cause like the, the other game that I think of along similar lines is like the the first two House of the Dead games, which is just absurd. Like the the dialogue oh, yeah. and the interactions, but then they doubled down on that and they did that game for the Wii, which was essentially like them making fun of themselves by making this really schlocky kind of B movie with loads of swearing and exploitation. Right, um, which is a shame because I think the. I think as soon as you're uh, self-aware, it stops being funny. You know, like you get a lot of films these days that are kind of parodies of 80s action movies and stuff, but they're clearly set up to be funny. They're meant to be so bad it makes you laugh, and that's not as good. I like the idea of someone striving to do their absolute best and then making something that's hysterically bad, like a lot right. of 80s action movies. That's that's where the humor comes in. Yeah. <laughs> in my malicious... Uh, evil intent um i think we've covered quite a lot mark this has been a, a fascinating chat is there anything that we kind of haven't brought up that you'd like to talk about or mention any specific mm -hmm. games or anything just one one thing that i think about 
my uh his like my childhood gaming too then is I just remembered. So yeah, both my friend and I loved the LucasArts games. And uh those were very inspiring to me for sure. And uh and then like we would get so excited about the new games that we would like sort of tell each other lies about like how awesome the game was going to be <laughs> and like and like and not in, the, in in like the other person would just seem to enjoy it like i remember my friend telling me that like monkey island contained over 1000 unique islands and that if you could beat the game in less than a year they would give you your money back <laughs> um and i was just like whoa that sounds amazing and uh there was something about that kind of like sense of wonder that each game like it almost it seemed possible to me in my mind you know yeah um because the potential of games just seems so limitless which was really cool <laughs> oh, i love that i love that but i mean those games especially they they were like the first kind of real tangible worlds that you could explore you know there hadn't been anything like that there was such a, yeah. a revelation at the time yeah and i think um I mean, all games are kind of cool in that they teach you what the game's like and they teach you what game design is about if you pay attention to them. But I like how those games were really explicitly about improving game design. And like, you know, in the instruction manual, they'd always have some kind of statement about how this game is not going to kill you over and over for picking up a sharp object. Like the, you know, kind of all the adventure games before that were so bad. <laughs> because of that yeah, and I, I was really like i think that was something that, that really excited me too um th here's a thing that i just thought of which i thought would be quite interesting because a lot of um i mean like anyone who's interested in any kind of creative endeavor they're often interested in all of them so you're not even though you might make games you're going to be super into like film and music and stuff as well um so this is just a total uh apropos of nothing question what is your favorite video game movie Wait, video game that got turned into a movie? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. I mean, they're um, all pretty bad, so I just um, it's the best of a bad bunch, I think. But yeah, I don't even know which ones I've seen. Oh, okay, oh, okay. I've seen Mortal Kombat, and then I remember I went to the theater and saw Mortal Kombat Annihilation, the sequel, um, and that always stuck out in my mind because you know, my friend and I thought it was so terrible that it was funny. Um, I can't even think of any other one I've seen. <laughs> so the, the Mortal Kombat movie wasn't too bad, actually. The first one, it was okay. Right, but the second one was like hilarious, where like there's major characters die in the first ten minutes. And, yeah, <laughs> they, they couldn't afford good. Christopher Lambert for more than uh, you know five minutes, so he dies. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. Cool. Well, that has been uh, wonderful, Mark. Um, thanks very much for your time. Is that okay? Are you, are you pleased with the chat? Yeah, for sure. Thank you. Um, and uh, it was nice talking to you. And yeah, please let me know if this goes.